Hi, welcome back. This is episode five of Control-Alt-Delete, a podcast with the same name as my book, which comes out in July with Penguin Random House. So yes, I'm so excited about today's episode and thank you so much, by the way, for subscribing and listening to this podcast. The response has been awesome and just thank you if you've left a comment or a nice tweet or anything. I really appreciate it and I'm glad you're enjoying it. So thank you. Uh, Today's guest is basically my main career crush, really, since I was about 17. Um, It's Dorno Porter is my guest today on the podcast, which is rather exciting for me seeing as I've loved her for so many years. I first discovered Dawn in about 2006, I think, when I first read Diaries of an Internet Lover, which is just such a funny book. And in 2007, her TV series, Super Slim Me, Dawn Gets Naked, Dawn Has a Baby, and all of the episodes in that series were just so entertaining. Um, Since then, Dawn's career has just evolved and grown and been so inspiring. And she's written two best-selling novels, Young Adult Fiction, which I loved reading. She's also writing a series of adult novels now with uh, HarperCollins, which is so exciting, I can't wait to read them. She's also launched her own vintage clothing line called Bob, which I absolutely love. I have two of her dresses hanging in my wardrobe, which is so great for parties. And yeah, it just makes so much sense for Dawn to be doing her own vintage clothes. They're just so great. She's also been a helping hand in Help Refugees UK, which is now one of the main registered groups helping the refugee crisis. So... I'm so happy that I managed to meet up with Dawn and chat to her for the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Here it is. So I'm with Dawn O'Porter, which is amazing. We're in a teenage bedroom um, in a house that Dawn's renting. So I've caught her at a good time. I think it's a teenage bedroom. You'd think so. Well, there's Winnie the Pooh. There's um, a Zoella poster. Oh, yeah, there is. I didn't notice that. And the last person I interviewed for this podcast was Zoella. Oh, really? Yes. How weird. Yes. And um, there's also some very, very, very heavy velvet curtains. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm loving it. So it's really setting... So I thought it set the scene before we um, we go in. But um, first question I want to know is... Because I always ask, what does a day look like for whoever I'm interviewing? But is every day totally different for you? Um, no, not anymore. And obviously we travel a lot, so that turns everything on its head. But since having a kid, we've had to put some real structure into our lives when we were in LA. So now I, we have, yeah, we do. Every day is kind of the same, which is brilliant. And it's changed, it's changed everything. I'm way more productive. So I get up with the baby at around seven and then I have him for two hours and then Chris takes over at nine and then... I go to an office now to work, and so I write until five. Is that near your house? Yeah, four pounds in an Uber, dollars, sorry, Amazing. or I cycle, and um, and then I get home at five, and you know do uh, dinner and bath time with art, and that's really nice. That mm. I haven't had that structure in my life for years and years and years, and I, I don't think I ever would have had that if I didn't have a kid. But you kind of have to be organised, and uh, so every day in LA is kind of the same now, which is nice. But when we're on the when we're travelling. It, it just uh, God knows. Yeah, it's you're, all you're different. Very, you're quite relaxed as a person. It seems quite like relaxed. you can be quite flexible. Oh yeah, I have to be. Yeah. Are we? So what day is it today? Help me. Oh my God, what day is it? It's, it's Monday. It's Monday. Monday. <laughs> now that I'm self-employed, I don't know. I, yeah, it's hard. I've never known that. Um, feeling. it's Monday today, and we are in London town, and I don't know what country we'll be in next Monday, wow. and that we live like that very much. So even though when we're at our house in LA, we can have a routine. It could all turn on its head within 24 hours because Chris literally just gets jobs sometimes where it's like, right, you've got to be in New York for two weeks. And the beauty of my job is that I just go. Amazing. So yeah. 
so our days our day to day can be the same but week to week is really varied yeah and um that must mean that you you can just change plan at the last minute because it was really funny when we were going to organize this you were sort of like yeah I'll let you know near the time and that's nice to have that flexibility on your diary of not trying to plan ahead too much I really it drives my agent crazy when I come back here I just will not book the lunch or the meeting before I touch down here and almost I kind of work on a bit of a 24-hour rotation thing. Booking anything for next week at this point right now would give me panic attacks because Mm. I hate letting people down. I hate moving things. And so I need to almost be like, what are you doing tomorrow? Yeah. And work that way. And because you've got lots of projects on the go, and um, I know it's a really annoying question when people are like, how do you do it? How does she manage it? And because it's sort of, well, you just do. Um, but you are a bit of a superwoman, like in the way that you're doing so many things. I'm doing so many things, and that took some training. Cause you, before I had a baby, you have 24 hours in a day. And I'd get up with my computer in the middle of the night and start writing if there was a shred of inspiration. Mm. And you can't do that because I cannot keep my eyes open at you know midnight now. Yeah. So I've had to get a bit more organised. And um, the good thing about living in LA is that because of the time difference... I wake up usually at around four o'clock in the afternoon here. And then, you know, a few hours later, all my staff and everyone's gone home for the day. So I get to write for the rest of the day. So I have really frantic mornings looking after art and being there for my team here. Mm. And then by midday, usually in LA, everyone's kind of wound down and I just get to write for the afternoon. Yeah. So when I'm there, everything is very manageable. When I come back to London, it's a total head fuck. I am just... I have to do a lot of meetings. We're always moving around because we don't have anywhere to live here. So this is the third place that we've lived in the last two weeks that we've been back. And it is quite stressful and we just have to kind of, you know, head down. I just yeah. have to head down and get on with it. But you do, you yeah. do. Oh, that horrible expression that I always use is that you've got as many hours in the day as Beyonce. Yeah. And you have, like, you can get an awful lot done. Yeah. Although I've been on a massive book deadline recently and I went, I had to do my first kind of couple of nights away from the baby a few weeks ago. I said, Chris, I've got... <laughs> to go and lock myself in a hotel room for 48 hours. That video and, of you of the room was I know, so funny. It was quite bleak. Like, I just <laughs> I just tried to find the most basic hotel room, no frills as possible. And the idea is I just, hello, Adam. There's a pussycat on me called Adam. <laughs> and um, I went and did it. And what was amazing about that, there are so many hours in the day when you have them all. And that's what I'd forgotten. But then sometimes do you find it's bad to have too many hours in not the day. not when you know you've only got two days yeah it used to be bad the luxury of time did not write a book like I, mm. it wasn't like I had all that time to be creative and I just you know bashed out novel after novel yeah it's um it was actually harder to get motivated and now I have to use my time so well that I really do like I go to work I do I pretty much do a nine-to-five job now because I got an office I couldn't work from home anymore every time I heard him breathe I would just have to go in and chew his <laughs> off face <laughs> yeah that's so what a distraction cute. so I can't work from home anymore so now I go out to work and that's changed everything and do you um turn things down a lot like or do you find saying no hard no not anymore I say no to most things now I've got so much to do I've now got a business and yeah Adam stop trying to get in the wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> the Adam the tailless cat <laughs> Is trying oh my God. To, I know his tail's all not. It's no quite. Tail it's quite weird. We're looking after oh. him. He's trying to get into the wardrobe. Um, I do turn. I don't really do that much TV anymore. And because at the beginning of your career, you say yes to everything, don't you? You say yes or you to should, everything. Like at the very, very beginning, you say yes and then to trying to be a lesbian on television. <laughs> you say yes to getting naked on television. You say yes to starving yourself for television. Yeah. Now, now I say no to most things, which often is 
a case of logistics, like I'm not in the country. Mm. Secondly, because I really, I'm so busy that I only do the things I love, otherwise I would just be really, really miserable. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, my novels and the business are, are full-time, two full-time jobs, so anything else has to be, you know, I have to love it. I have to love it so much. So, yeah, it's, I say no to a lot of things. And I'm not trying to say, there's not, like, this constant stream of opportunities coming my way, but... I do, I do say no to a lot more now. Yeah, that must be a nice kind of place to be where you, you only have a certain amount of time and you just pick what you really need to yeah. do. And running your own business. It's, that must it's be... so demanding. But obviously, again, like, in one way, living in LA is really, makes it really difficult. In the other way, it makes it, because I've got another full-time job, really mm-hmm. manageable. Um, but yeah, and I think every time you kind of just work out who you are and what you really want. Like, I really just, I used to think I needed to be on TV, I needed to be recognised, I needed to do all these things, get attention all the time. And now I just don't have that part of me anymore. Like, yeah. I'm quite happy for my public presence, which I do really enjoy to be on Twitter and through writing. Mm. And I really couldn't give a damn if I'm seen or not, which personally is an enormous relief. Mm-hmm. And secondly, it means I've got a lot more time to do the other things. That was something I was really interested in asking you is... um this idea of what success is but how it's so different to each person and I remember that piece you wrote years ago but it was like my favorite thing I've, I read um for the conversation you, you oh, wrote yeah. about um you know success isn't necessarily what's in your bank account at um, a certain point in your life do you what does success mean for you now is I it- think for me now obviously I'm married well so I'm not ever going to be homeless or starving no matter what happens in mm-hmm. my career which is an incredibly lucky situation but as terms of my own success, if if I valued my success on what I earned, I'd be really, really miserable. You know, it's hard to make money as a writer. Mm. It's taken a long time for me to make money as a writer. And even then, it's not, you know, I'm not going to be able to buy a house out of it. Um, and so if I if I equated my how I feel about myself and how I think about success financially, I would just be doomed. And I think I used to, mm-hmm. but that's changed a lot. I have all... I remember my the, I remember when I was a teenager and living on Guernsey and I wrote off a question or something, I can't remember, like a 25-word thing that I sent off to Bella magazine and they published it. And I remember just thinking that my life had changed. Like I love writing so much. I love mm. being a published writer so much. It's all I ever wanted to do before I got into TV. That was a massive mistake. And so I really feel like now I'm I'm writing books and I write articles. I have succeeded. I'm doing it. If I wanted money, then there's nothing more I could do. I'm doing the job. That's just how much you get paid. So I, I am successful. It's just not a multi-million pound industry. Um, and if I wanted to be rich, I'd, you know, I'd do lots more TV and do all those things. So I really don't think people should put money with success. But then, obviously, you feel successful when you can afford to live well yeah, and all that. Yeah. So, it, you know, money does matter. And it's good to be comfortable. But, no, my success is... When people tell me they've read one of my books or when I see someone wearing a bob dress, that mm. drives me absolutely oh up the wall. I've can't seen, bear it. Um, a few people like out at parties wearing one of your dresses. Oh, and it's can't. been a really good conversation starter, just being like, I know that that's a bob is dress. That, is that a deal? <laughs> yeah. There was we were at this um Oscars party. It's the the night before the Oscars there's this kind of big posh party, which should be absolutely brilliant. And I wanna tell you that it was the best night, but it almost felt like a corporate event in a hangar. Um. And you know when they just all a bit bleak? 
anyway, Meg Ryan was there wearing a pretty dress with like big chunky DM boots, which I thought was fascinating. And Mariah Carey was there, which was also fascinating. Oh my god! Oh yeah, I just, was she wearing something? She was. She just looked like oh, Mariah that's... Carey. That's it. She just looked like everything. If you were to draw Mariah Carey, that's just what she looked like. Um, and this girl just came up to me and just said, "Oh, I've got a couple of your dresses." And I mean, I I was so uncool. I should I should work out my response for that situation because I was just. I was just so excited. It's all I talked about to Chris again all night. Just couldn't believe it. And don't you think it's so important to tell people when something has affected them? Because I think a lot of people read something and they love it and they don't tell the person. Yeah. And that's what's nice about Twitter. Do yeah. you still feel like that when you definitely get that feedback? Yep, absolutely. And also, I think I, I'm really selfish at tweeting, by the way. I'm one of those awful people on Twitter who doesn't really look at what anyone else is doing. I just have my own little bubble of Sometimes conversation. Sometimes that needs to be done, though, I think, when I you're just, in tunnel vision. Yeah. You just need to do your thing. I just don't go through everyone. I, I follow too many people. And I just don't go through it all anymore and see what everyone's saying. What I do on Instagram, I love Instagram. I'm giving you a hand visual here. I'm <laughs> flapping my hands. scrolling. As if scrolling <laughs> on an enormous screen. Almost like a front crawl. Um, oh, yeah. And it, oh, God. I love affirmation. Just like, you know, you're doing great. You're doing a good job. Do you find that your balance... I mean, I think that your balance is great between, like, kind of self-promoting what you're doing versus just fun stuff. I've built my business on social media. Mm. Like I, so interesting. Yeah, if I didn't have if I didn't have my Twitter following, I don't think Bob would be as successful as it is because, like, PR and marketing costs an absolute fortune, and there you have this free tool. Mm. So I do. I am a bit shameless with Bob on through my Twitter feed. But you know, I mean, I think anyone who gets annoyed with people for promoting on Twitter, like, that's what it's for. Yeah. Like you just you just gotta you've got to use it. Mm. And anyone who wants to start a business, Jesus, just Twitter was. It's, mm. it's the answer. I don't know how you would do it. I don't know how people launch businesses before social media. It's been a really great way for you to already have for so many people who love seeing what you wear. Yeah. So it's just a seam, such a seamless link. It's such between... a seamless link, and it's yeah, it's it's just. I mean, I just can't, I don't think I I don't think I could have done it without Twitter. It's amazing. So I am a bit shameless. I'm just like you know, subtly try and do links to my dresses. Yeah. <laughs> and then someone buys one, you're like. Oh! With with that sort of pressure though of having to kind of use social media in that in, in both ways, kind of from a business perspective and just normally, do you step away? Like do you switch off or are you sort of you're okay with constantly being online? I'm okay with being constantly online and the nice thing about it being my business is that you know when you work for any I've done like brand work with with brands and they've always got everyone's so scared. They're always like Oh, as a brand we would never say that. That's the official statement that I'm like, fuck that. Like the official statement from Bob is whatever I'm feeling at that particular moment in time. That's amazing. So it it blurs into my own Twitter mm. feed and and I get to say what I want when I want. And I don't worry about how it will look for the business because the business is me and the voice of the business is how is me. Yeah. I love that. Like I'd hate to work for a big corporate brand where you have to watch what you say. Yeah, like imagine if you filmed one of your uh, funny videos. I love watching those in the shop and having to get that signed off. And, no, um, no. And I... I I would be fired from any job <laughs> if I made suggestions like the kind of things that I put out for Bob. No, I want it to, you know, I want it to just feel like it's completely inclusive, not elite in any way, and that it's just fun mm-hmm. for girls. Because, yeah, as soon as soon as I, you know, if I ever, I, well, I just wouldn't. We're an independent company, but if if we ever got big investment, and they were like, you have to be more. I don't know. Serious. Serious, sophisticated. <laughs> I, I just don't think it would work. I saw some pictures from your photo shoot the other day. That summed it up. That looked I mean, so fun. We and you had, were almost sort of you weren't being serious at all 
Oh, not serious. So uh, David Loftus, who is this phenomenal photographer, um, is a friend of mine. He does all my photography for Bob. And he had a free morning and I was free. And so it's like, right, we'll do a shoot. So I had to quickly do a theme. So we got this massive suite at the Marlebone Hotel and I just went, we're doing drunken floozies at the hotel suite in chiffon gowns. It was so fun. Phoebe, who's the other girl in the photographs, just works for me. She's just such, I love her so much. We we laugh so much. And so I just asked her to model with me and we just kind of drank champagne from 10 in the morning and pranced around a rooftop in chiffon. It was wonderful. I love it. That is so on brand. Yeah, so on brand. (laughs) And you imagine if there was a big boss telling us that that was, all my staff were drunk by one. It was wonderful. That sounds excellent. (laughs) I was wondering if that was real champagne. Oh, yeah. So it was. Oh, yeah. No prop champagne. No prop champagne at Bob. (laughs) It's interesting that you've done so many things, and yet, like you say, like the common denominator in everything is you being you, and you've never pigeonholed yourself. No. It's almost like you could just go and do something else, whatever project you want to. How do you think you've remained so open to lots of different things because I think some people feel like they have to just do one thing and sort of just do that and I also think again back to fear I know you know a lot of people in the public eye they're always like oh I can't say that or I couldn't do that or people wouldn't see me that way or they almost box themselves in I think one thing as soon as you're in the public eye the world should open up it shouldn't get smaller like you now like look at what you're doing you would you just had a little blog mm-hmm. how many years ago and now you've just expanded to all these things because you see opportunities and you think I want to do that I'm going to try and do it mm. And I think a lot of people... You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to like, ask permission. Like, I'm just permission. doing this podcast because I feel like it, and actually it's turned into, already turned into something. Exactly. And I think a lot of people are just thinking, oh, I'm worried what people will say. And as soon as you worry what people say, then you just don't do anything. Mm. You've been my big inspiration for that as well, because you're quite... You've done lots of amazing columns on your journey to, like, not really caring. It's been a journey, let me tell you. I mean, I was, I, you know, I was incredibly self-aware. Not that it stopped me necessarily doing anything, but it's not like negativity didn't touch the sides Mm -hmm. and I found it very hard and it's weird something happens happened in the last few years I think it's probably just being incredibly secure and happy at home and getting the jobs that I want to get and being a mum and being a mum it Mm -hmm. does it does something and I'm not saying that you have to be a mum to feel this way but it's what it did to me it gave me I mean it it's kind of almost a bit like I was very scatty and all over the place in, in, in many ways, I still am. But it gave me this focus in... what? Okay, let me... How am I going to articulate this? I I started to get... I didn't know if I wanted kids for years. And I, I just didn't know. I just didn't have that thing. Mm. And um, then I started... Around the age of about 34... 33, 34. I almost felt like... I used to love being on my own. Then when I was alone, I felt like something was missing. I just feel like I couldn't... I just couldn't entertain myself or... I was bored of myself. Felt I really started to feel like there was a gap. And I think that was the kind of mental, you know, the start of broodiness that I wasn't quite picking up on, that that's what it was. That's so interesting. It was so weird. I, and I'd say to Chris, I just feel like I've got all of these things going on and I'm achieving all of the things that I want to do, but I feel completely unsatisfied, something inside of me. I mean, I'm really happily married. I what is it? And he, I, think, I think he even said something. I think you probably want a kid. And I was like, no, I don't. Don't say that about me. I don't want a kid. We're never having kids. Blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of would go over and just think, oh, shit, I think I want to have a kid. Where the hell did that come from? And then I got on it quite quickly. But it's like, I, I feel, oh, God, sounds like an episode of Oprah. I just feel incredibly whole and fulfilled. Therefore, I take the jobs I want to do because I'm not seeking anything. You're not seeking, like, validation no, or No, I just feel very, very, my feet are so firmly on the ground. And... 
everything still really matters. Me as an individual massively still matters. My achievements still matter enormously. But at the end of the day, as long as Art and Chris and I are okay, then everything's all right. Mm. And I used to be much more selfish than that. So it's nice. It's really balanced me out as a person, I think. That sounds amazing because I think, for me, like, being in my 20s, like, everything is about me. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm aware that I'm selfish at the moment. Yeah, and, and you can, should be. You and should be. I feel like it's okay for now, but yeah. they'll get to a point where it's not really that great to constantly just be, like, me, 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 like, me and my CV. Like, it's not... Oh, there yeah, is but, more than that. More yeah, like. yeah, there is, of course. But also, if you do feel like that forever, that's all right. Like, it's... Yeah. I just think it's... You've got to do what makes you feel right. Like, I didn't think I was going to have children and then my body told me that I was just absolutely gagging for them. It was mm. really odd. And I think... But the other way... Maybe it was because I fell in love and, I, you know, I'd see Chris as the father of my children and therefore it made me want kids. Maybe if I'd have never met Chris and I was still single now, maybe I wouldn't give a shit about having kids. You don't know what the reason for this is, but I say, like, one of my things I'm most grateful for is that until I was 35, I was completely selfish. Mm. And I have no regrets. I never think having kids taken me away from anything because I just partied and rocked out for all that time. It was brilliant. Yeah. And now, you know, it's not like you, you're, you're stuck in the house and you can't live your life and you've got a kid, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm missing out on mm. anything, career-wise or socially or anything. It's just awesome. It's interesting that you've achieved so much and you, it's almost like you have ticked off this whole list of things but yet you're always you've always got something else on the go I have I don't think I think that is just something that is I do by accident and I've got this kind of so I'm, I've got another three I'm writing a book at the moment and I've got another three books to write after this <gasps> and you know is it, it the, the this, younger fiction no so I've just written I signed up to do, do two adult fiction which sounds really kinky but it's not <laughs> um, with Harper Collins. so I've just done my first one of those and then I'm doing the next two Renee and Flo books but they're going to be for adults too because the girls are going to be oh, older because they've yeah. grown up yeah. so I've got I'm basically going to be writing novels until I'm 40 and then That's and the business is getting more and more work but I've got this kind of fantasy oh I need to burp I'm so sorry um, and I didn't burp I held it in I was really really sophisticated about it wouldn't it be good if, wouldn't it be good if I just hadn't mentioned it um, but yeah I think I've got this kind of fantasy about you know hitting 40 and just maybe taking a bit of time off but I'll always write books even probably when I retire I'll be one of those people that sits there and writes crap poetry or something I don't think you'll always do it but um I like working and also I didn't work for a long time and I just I just want to I just hated that feeling mm. it's funny when you work in a creative industry and you love what you do this idea of retirement doesn't really exist because it's like well even if I'm technically retired I'm always going to write or I'm always yeah. going to do something that makes me happy exactly I was raised in that way so my auntie that brought me up she's turning 80 this year she was an interior designer had her own interior design business and she retired 10 years ago and she's probably done up more houses since she retired that's <laughs> yeah. so funny you know, like mergers ha- yeah she yeah. hasn't stopped and I you know I've been brought up by real workers self-employed real grafters mm. and um and I think that's just that's just in me and also going back to what we said before you know I may not crave the attention that I used to when I was younger but I do I like to be doing good. I like to be achieving. I like people responding to what I do. I enjoy the feeling of, like I've just the book that I've just written nearly destroyed me. I was trying to write it in the first year of having a kid, and it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done. But I've done a good first draft now, mm. and I can't wait for people to read it and to come up to me and tell me they love it. Like I I don't ever want to lie about the fact that that's why I like putting work yeah, out there. It yeah. feels fucking fantastic when people tell you you're good at something. Yeah. And um, I don't know anyone who doesn't write. Who, who doesn't write to connect. It's yeah. like you write to build a connection with someone. You, honestly, when someone 
I read a lot, but I'm one of those people who, if I don't enjoy the first four pages, I stop reading the book. When someone tells me they got to the end of my book, even if they say they hated it in a bad review, I'm like, well, you've finished it. Mm. So something something was making you turn those pages. I'm yeah. just thrilled. It's amazing because it's such a solitary experience. How did you find it? <laughs> oh, it's so hard. Oh, it's, it, it was hard. But then I, I'm, I'm freaking out that people are going to read it now. Why haven't you given me a copy? It's not out yet. I know, but you should, you're, can't I just have it on paper? Um pdf yeah, yeah send yeah. it to me oh, I'd lo- yeah i will i wasn't sure whether you w- wanted to wait for the but it's i'll um, do whatever you want but i just want to blooming well read it i'm proud that i've written a book just it in if people hate it or love it i'm like i'm pleased that i've done it yeah it's an amazing achievement and i don't think that people quite appreciate how hard it is it's like, just such a commitment isn't it did you get the deal and then write the book because it's non-fiction i wrote three chapters and yeah. then and then i had to finish it but right. the proposal was so um it was almost like, I think of it as like colouring in. It was like I, I'd done all of the structure yeah, of it God, and I just had good. to sort of write all of the chapters after that. But I think that's very different from a novel. I think there's definitely, because I've done both, there's definitely a difference between non-fiction and fiction. Fiction is really hard, but when you're on a roll, it's like it literally just falls out the end of your fingers. But when you can't wow. do it, doing the Renee and Flo books, I just find so easy to write because I, I just know them, I love them so much. This one, with art being very young, I launched Bob and signed the book deal on the same day when I was seven months pregnant. And I, went, I came back to London to launch the business, had no idea that HarperCollins were going to swoop in with this book deal. Now, I used to stand outside the HarperCollins building and dream when I first moved to London. I used to go and stand outside and just be one day, one day, one day. I couldn't not take the deal. I, but I, did, I took the two biggest, most time-consuming, hard work undertakings of my entire career when I was seven months pregnant. And my book deadline was last October, and I've just handed in the first draft. I just... I had a, a tribal mental breakdown and then just said to my uh, editor, I'm so sorry, this was completely unacceptable to think that I could write this book. Mm-hmm. And she was brilliant and gave me more time. Um, but writing fiction is really hard because, oh, I mean, yeah, you've just got to create so much. With nonfiction, you've always got a resource point. Mm-hmm. You've always got something that you can get inspiration from. And uh, and that's what you don't necessarily have with fiction. But... Do your novels totally come from um, but your imagination or do you kind of write something fictional but it's always to do with something you've experienced well Renee and Flo is so kind of Renee has kind of channeled many elements of my life and it was mm. but set in Guernsey so I knew a lot of it was you know there was a lot of truth in there as yeah. to the stuff that I'd experienced as a teenager um, but it is all fiction like the, it, it didn't exist mm. um, but this work this book that I've just written is entirely fiction nothing to do with my life at all wow. and uh, and that was that was really hard you realise how hard it is but you know then suddenly mm. it's done and your editor loves it and you're like it's the best job in the world but when you're doing it it was just oh my god I can't tell you the amount of breakdowns I had to, trying to do this book oh but, but that feeling of when you get it is gonna it's be, just amazing yeah. yeah I can't wait to promote this book and know that I did it that would be one of the biggest achievements I think I've ever ever yeah. ever done is managing to get it finished wow. I know it's pretty hardcore oh my god pretty that, well done that's amazing that's thank you so cool. <laughs> oh, that, and I can imagine that was so tough yeah um but I was wondering as well because the help refugee stuff that you're doing that's another layer of it is that's a lot that looks like a lot of work and also obviously for an amazing cause but that's a lot of your time how do you fit that in around everything else because it is obviously so close to your heart so the honest truth of that is I do very little anymore because it was just impossible now what we did last year is we accidentally started a charity um Leanna Bird and Josie Norton and I mm. and I through social media again this amazing tool um we tried to fill a truck and send it to Calais with supplies. We ended up getting 7,000 packages in 24 hours and 
realised that there are no major charities helping any of the refugees and felt mm. impelled to carry on. Now, I, Art was like eight months old and it was it was really tough. We all suddenly just were working full time mm. on this thing. And then I, I went back to LA and I just, I just said to the girls, look, this is, you know, they registered as a, cha- as a charity. I was just like, guys, I can't work full time on this anymore. I've got two full time jobs and I'm going to be eight hours time difference. So how it works now, they're literally still, they are now have become the main group helping the refugees. I've never been, I'm so proud of them. And this group of girls, and I'm on this WhatsApp conversation, we're on it all day. I wake up at six in the morning, they've been up for three hours, looking for lost children, contacting, like uh, speaking to the UN, writing to the government. Now I, for them, I facilitate stuff for them now. So I help them connect them with um, anyone that I know who can publicise this. I make introductions for them. They use, we use my Twitter feed for everything. And I do everything that I can like that and support them in every way that I can. But the actual day-to-day running of the charity is down to them and they've literally dropped their lives and they're doing it. Like all the last two days have all been about missing children. And they've there was no register for missing children. There's over 200 missing children in Calais. Mm. And they've just set up their own register. The, the work they're doing, I cannot believe these women. It seems ridiculous that I'm the one on a podcast talking about it. They where, are, can, where can people follow? Well, just help Refugees help, yeah. UK. Okay. And please, like, it's we've really moved into working and, f- like, helping children who have a legal right to be... A young boy died two weeks ago on a, underneath a lorry trying to and get to his covered. sister... No, the, well, well that was another. Yeah. This was an, another kid's been missing for the last three days. Luckily, he's been found. Um, media never covered it. Imagine if that was a white kid. Like mm-hmm. I, I find the whole thing so mm-hmm. racist. I'm not supposed to say that, but it's your podcast, so I'll say what I want. Mm-hmm. I find the whole thing so racist. I truly believe that if Calais was full of white Americans, that Britain would have a very different attitude towards the whole thing. And and I find that devastating. And since since starting this charity. You know the racism that I've encountered just on Twitter and just from people I know saying, mm. I don't really get why you want them here. Uh, it's just been a real, it's just yeah. been really shocking. And it's like trying to educate people on the difference between yeah. refugees and what they think are just like immigrants. These are people escaping war. You know, I said something on Twitter when uh, the Paris bombing, bombings happened. I said something that I, it was quite right. Just remember that when things like this happen in Europe, this is what people, are, these refugees are fleeing mm-hmm. on a daily basis. People got pissed off me. How dare you say that? It's so insensitive. I'm like, no, it's not insensitive. What happened in Paris is absolutely beyond hideous, awful, devastating, everything, all the words, all the words. Mm. And that's what's happening every day. For these people, they fled, they've come across, they've travelled across Europe with babies strapped to their chests in fucking freezer lorries to get a better life. They're not just trying to get on a benefit system. France is an incredibly unwelcoming government. Like it's, They're tear-gassing them all the time in the camp. I fully understand why they don't want to stay in France. You know, it's just very complex, and I think people just come up with one them-and-us attitude and... I, it's devastating. It's the Holocaust of our generation, and why would you want to? Why would you want to look back on this in the history books and say, like, you know, if people had known about the Holocaust, they could have helped. Like, no mm. one knew about it. We know about this, and not enough people are helping. Yeah. But honestly, the people that are, the people who have given up their lives, I just should are heroes, mm. absolute heroes. And I, I'm very proud of the charity that I started, but I, I just cannot take the credit for the work they're still doing. I, yeah. I mean, I just no, can't believe it. I just really want to bring it up because it's like so. It's you can tell you're so passionate about it and the charity is growing and I wondered how yeah everyone can follow it and just make sure that what, what I find interesting is like I can imagine a lot of people who follow you on Twitter are following you like because they like vintage dresses mm. but at the same time to 
to sort of be able to send that message to people who might not think that way yeah it's just so powerful I think one of the one of the most rewarding things out of all of this not only helping the people in the camps was but changing people's minds mm. and I'm you know you know they always say you shouldn't feed the trolls you shouldn't answer back I always answer back otherwise nothing changes yeah when people say really racist things to me about refugees on Twitter I I tell them they're wrong mm. and one woman, Jesus, she was going crazy at me on Instagram a few weeks ago. And um, I just I just kept going. I just kept replying. And we ended up on private message. And um, I said, look, are you okay? What's happening? She says, oh, you know, I've got three kids. I work as a nurse. I'm skint. It's so hard. My children's school is massively overcrowded. This country's a fucking mess. And I'm just sorry. I'm just really angry about my own situation. And you're right. They deserve... And, you know, you realise that... Most people's reaction in that way is due to their own personal situation, they're angry and they feel hard done by. No one, well, I'm sure they do, but when you break it down, most people are good people. Mm. Like, when you explain to them that no one's trying to, you know, have these people come to our country so that the people in our country can't live the lives they're living or it's going to get worse. Like, the idea it's is fear. there's space and resources and everyone can be okay. And there's absolutely no reason why I should go to Calais and see a baby being washed in a puddle. Mm. Did something click inside you to be... Because I feel like it, it all happened really quickly, that charity like, it came together. It happened in, in like hours. A, a kind of moment of... I'm obviously reading this and I'm feeling like really strongly about it, as is everyone, but like to then move it into a charity is like it's so in- incredible what's happened. It had to happen because no-one else was doing it. Oxfam came with me to Calais to see how they could help us. <sighs> and I'm not sure of the actual political reasons why Red Cross and Oxfam can't do mm-hmm. their job there, but there's red tape that big charities can't do it. So it's the grassroots organisations like ours that are literally there. Isn't that so interesting? One of our team... Back to what we were saying, everything now with the internet, you don't need an organisation. You don't need anything. You don't need, any, you don't need anybody's approval. You don't need anybody's help and you don't need anything you can do anything like if you'd have told me you know okay I have a you know a good following on Twitter and a uh, a voice I suppose but I never thought that I could start a charity that would save lives and what the hell is that what have I got to do with refugees just goes to show that you can do anything Mm -hmm. so I mean I just feel like if there's anybody who's just got this thing like oh I'd like to do that but I don't think I could Chris came from a tiny little town on the west coast of Ireland and he's now living in Hollywood making movies you know there was nothing special about his family there was nothing you just he just knew what he wanted to do and you know so many people like that and you just think you really can do anything all those success stories of all of those people whether it's celebrities or people who run charities or people who you know are, are the MDs of banks or whoever's got big successful companies whoever this person is so not everybody came from like you know beginnings where they could have whatever they wanted Mm. they just they just knew what they wanted and i am amazed by how many people are driven by fear and how that stops them doing what they want to do it's a shame isn't it it's a shame you know you only live once you know what that's i don't think people take that statement seriously enough as well Mm. i don't think people really think about it you only live once you are on this earth once like to go i've got to be safe i've got to make all these small decisions small choices just so that everything goes okay how fucking boring Mm. what just do what you want try to do what you want to do like what's the point otherwise just to be part of like just turn the cogs of the world and just keep things ticking over like some people don't have any big ideas that's fine do that we need those people but if you do just you're you've always been so brave though like 
always you've always challenged things haven't you yeah like a little every, bit yeah because I, I remember <laughs> there was like I remember when you were on tv years and years ago but I was like in a really scary situation I literally remember being like I wonder what Dawn would do <laughs> Oh God, don't live your life that way. I was like, well, she'd probably do this, and then I'd do it, and then um, I'd be like, oh God, that's really scary. And then you, and then I started like getting used to sort of taking risks. Yeah, and then it's not as scary. Nothing's as scary. Like people used to say to me all the time when I made those TV shows, like, aren't you really scared? And I'm, yeah, terrified. But you just do it, and you know, it's always some like doing. What was that? I did a orgy with those Germans. They go, there's a sentence. How I like a naked, oiled-up orgy with a load of German free lovers, and I'm walking down into this basement with all these naked, old free lovers, just thinking, <laughs> "What the hell am I doing?" And it was just, it was just weird and whatever. But I've just got this great dinner party story now. Yeah. So it's like I, you know, you push yourself in life and you do these things, and you're gonna be lying on your deathbed one day and just thinking, "What a life." I, my last question was. Um... What are you excited about that's coming up? I guess it's your book coming out. I guess, yeah, but aside from work stuff, like I'm really, I'm excited about the book coming out. I'm excited about Bob. Bob is just going really well and it's just taking, it was so scary and now I feel like I went through stages going, it's not going to work and now I really feel like it's going to work and we've got all sorts of great things happening. I'm excited on a life level, like I feel very, I was very unstable, but very happy. I've always been very happy and instability really suited me. And then I'm married and so happily married and I love my baby so much and I feel so stable. I guess what because our life is so all over the place, it suits my nature to be comfortable feeling unstable because we're all over the place. Mm. But my the actual core of my life is just so solid and I'm excited. I, I've, I'm so kind of warm and fuzzy about my, my personal life now, which I've never really actually paid much attention to or been bothered about it while I've been on this blinkered mission mm. to succeed. And I'm really excited about me and Chris and Art. I think about us more than I think about anything. And it's just, it's really nice. And I, I just I just feel, I'm excited about being calmer as a person because of that. Yeah. And not being so frantic and just what 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 and it's just really it's just really nice yeah. i never thought i'd do an interview and try to sound interesting by saying i'm excited about everything no, just being it's really, really nice no, it's nice that, um Is someone coming in hello hi we're doing a podcast oh, who's coming to be on this podcast oh my god <laughs> hello. i was hi. just saying i was just I talking about you when you think i was just sitting up here on my own and I the, here here come sit here chris o'dad mr chris o'dad we're um, doing so a podcast this is the best episode of my podcast ever <laughs> what's going on well i was just saying emma just asked me what i was excited about and i said i was excited about you and artie oh. and our life oh that's 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 sweet isn't it yeah oh. uh, that's like my third biggest excitement <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited about then? There was talk of chips. Oh, uh, no, okay, well we'll have chips. We'll have chips. Um, and, then, and, then, and then what? Any, anyone else? Anyone else? Hillary. Hillary. You know, <laughs> Hillary becoming president. That'd yeah, be fun. If. Um, what are you guys talking about? Oh, just wrapping up. But this is this is brilliant. This is um, hilarious. Guest spot from the O'Dowd. Did the cat have anything interesting to Adam, say? Adam, the same old tosh. Adam tried to get into the wardrobe. He was very visual for a very non-visual medium, I would say. Ah, uh, but wow. I realised halfway through that there was no tail, and I kind of freaked out a little yeah. bit. Yeah, no. it is weird. Now. It is weird. Yeah, it was an odd accident, but all of his own doing. <laughs> have you got any questions for Emma? Sure. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what are your feelings on osmosis? I'm not 100% sure what it is. Osmosis is that thing that plants do when they turn uh, oxygen particles. into 
Carbon no, dioxide. that's something else, isn't it? Isn't that um? God, this is riveting. Isn't that <laughs> is photosynthesis? Can I ask Chris a question? Yes, of course. Um, what are you excited about at the moment, Chris O'Dowd? Oh God, what's happening? Um, I'm excited to. I'm going to Ireland on Thursday. I'm going to see my mom. You see mummy. And she'll see our baby, which would be really nice. I'm not going. He's taking oh. Art away for his first trip on his own. Yeah. Has Art been to Ireland? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yes, um, he didn't care for it. Um, <laughs> it's because he's also got Scottish blood, and he found it very conflicting. Yeah, it was it was just too much Celt. He's very ginger. He's so ginger. You're going to meet him in a minute. I think he's woken up. Is he woken up? No, he's still asleep. Okay, well, this is also riveting. So, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so I think what we learned there is that gin works. Gin works. Yeah, we have a ginger baby. Yeah, it's exciting. He's a little ginger nut. Where did the ginger come from then? Well, I'm half Scottish and Chris is, is it, what is it? Canadian. That's right. Right. And apparently, uh, so there's obviously, he's actually Irish. Um, so there's there's ginger somewhere in the bloodlines on both parts. But apparently both parents have to have the ginger gene. So, but he's he's a proper little ginger nut. And also you gave birth in a British telephone box. I did, yes. Which... And the red just rubbed off. It did. That was, that was <laughs> weird. <laughs> That was a weird image. Facts. That was, that was not true. Okay, well, I'm going to go now. I'll let you wrap up. Okay. Have a wonderful podcast, podcasters. <laughs> Thank you. It will be down in a minute. <laughs> Surprise guest. Yes. So, it was like it was planned. Yeah, it was like it was planned. So, right, so you've just interviewed me, and I just wanted to say, because you can put this in or not, because you're in charge of your editing, but when did I first hear about you? What, probably about three years ago, or no, maybe even more. You, Probably because I couldn't stop stalking you. But you know what? But even as a stalker, you were incredibly charming. I noticed you straight away and I remembered you straight away. And when you did your blog and I loved your blog. And I just knew when I met you that you were going to do really well. And since I've met you, your, your, your blog's become really big and you've written for all sorts of places. Your articles are amazing. And I think what you've got is this real mix of real honesty, but charm and niceness. And... Your reputation is really, really good. And I just wanted you to know that oh, because I think that you're onto really good stuff and all the people that are listening to this have to really support Emma's career because I'm actually really jealous of loads of the things that she's achieving. Very clever girl. Thank you so much. It is honestly true when I say, you know, when you want a career and you have someone to look up to and you sort of, you almost like try and mirror what they're doing in a way. You're just like, I want to do that. I want to do that. You were th- that person for me. Then you have to get your tits out on telly. <laughs> <laughs> I would have done it. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Of
If you like this episode, please remember to leave a review or a rating on iTunes. It would mean so much to me. Also, um, tweet me at girllostincity on Twitter. I'd love to hear your feedback. So thanks so much again for listening and make sure you tune in next week. Bye.